Welcome to part two of this Rock Geeks podcast. Before you listen any further, and if you haven't already, we can highly recommend that you go back and listen to part one. Thanks very much. This podcast contains language which some people might find offensive. Your mum might be alright with it, your dad will definitely be fine with it, but granny might not like it. That said, your kids might find it educational and learn some new words to make them look cool at school. Also, there are many views and opinions that you might not share, and some fabricated situations that obviously didn't happen. Listener discretion is advised. Just a couple of blokes Pouring over nine notes We're the rock geeks Yeah, we're the rock geeks Who played on that? Who played on the other? Who did the album for the album cover? We're the rock geeks Yeah, we're the rock geeks So, she is suffering. I think probably the most straightforward song on the album could yeah. quite easily have fit on one of the first two records or maybe uh, well maybe I, I, one after yeah maybe i mean I, go. I, I've, I've noted down here that it, it, it sounds like a pre-production demo for everything must go mm. um i think it's it, it's one that the album could have done without i don't mean that because it's terrible but i mean it doesn't quite it's not doesn't feel like it's part of the same theme our overall um, mood that the rest of the album is. No, um, it's still you know I still I still like it as a song, um, but it's not quite as intense as some of the others. Is it? It's almost like a bit of light relief after a walk in abortion, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's probably placed you know at, at, as the fourth song for that very reason. Track four ballad. Yeah, that's what most albums do, isn't it? Yeah, bit of bit of respite. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean. It's interesting, um, thematically, um, you know, Richie Edwards has said that this song, the song title refers to desire. Um, you know, in, in other Bibles and holy books, no truth is possible until you empty yourself of desire. All commitment otherwise is fake, lies, economic convenience. And Nicky Wire went on to say, um, it's quite a simple song, both musically and lyrically. It's kind of like a Buddhist thing where you, you can only reach eternal peace by shedding every desire in your body. Which, having heard that, still, for me, doesn't entirely make the lyric make sense. It doesn't present... It's even knowing that. Yeah. I don't get necessarily get all that from the lyric. And, and I feel like I'm at school doing poetry yeah, in English right. English lit. Yeah, and your teacher's telling you something, you're thinking, oh, I don't get it. Yeah. No, I yeah. don't get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like I just don't see that those themes in those words mm. and that's my failing i you know i'm quite okay with that but i just don't get it yeah it's i mean musically it's got a riff that sounds like every breath you take apparently the band thought yeah yeah well apparently um it's, this is from repeat repeat fanzine why i tried to convince james uh, that she is suffering could be manic street preachers every breath you take and a huge transatlantic hit but it goes on to say here, now, however, not only would Nicky Wire definitely take it off the record, but it's one of the Manic's music videos that he most despises. I can't remember the video to it. 
Is it really? Is it just them in all white? Or I am think I thinking so, yeah. of the everlasting? No, I it's, it's. I think. It, I think you're right. I think it is that right. one. And it was the. It's the only song on the album that was produced by Steve Brown, right. who, who produced Generation Terrorists, and and James Dean Bradfield said simply, you know, I didn't know what to do with the track, mm. and it's since become his least favorite song on the album. Well, it's it's got a very. Um, the chord sequence is quite standard, isn't it? You know, yeah. a lot yeah. of the other musical elements of this album uh, are not. You know, you don't hear those yeah. kind of movements too much within songs, but this has got quite a straight ahead chord sequence in it. It's got the Manic Street Breachers kind of da 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 da, yeah. which comes up again on this album. And then I think it's on Australia as well, off Everything yeah. Must Go. So they use that quite a lot. Um, it's got a, re- uh, a really strange, like, descending bass run in the chorus, yeah. which kind of pulls yeah. you downwards. Yeah, um, it's quite jazzy, that, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's almost a, like it's on a fretless. Yeah. It's just descending chromatically, yeah, but yeah. It, it does make it sound a little bit odd. But yeah, pretty straight ahead, down to the guitar solo as well. You can imagine, you know, that popping up in a ballady type song, yeah. can't you? And 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 the, I think the most impressive thing about that guitar solo is if it is double tracked, mm. the the bits at the end of the solo going back into the verse where mm. he just keeps sort of playing. Yeah. There's a really there's quite a slow bend on one part and just getting that, I know, that spot that, on that would be kind of like uh, earache inducing if you got it wrong, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, you know, again testament to his uh, talents and abilities. Um, but yeah, like you say, probably really the most commercial track on the album, and I can see why it would have been a single, and I can see why the band would have been like. Ugh. You know, we've yeah. had, we've kind of had enough. Once you get to the fourth single from an album, you've probably had enough of it by yeah. now. Yeah, and yeah. And especially if it's a song like this, which maybe you ended up having second thoughts about. You hate the video for it. Yeah. But somebody at the record company probably just thought it's a ballad. It's it's a bit more um, accessible than the other ones. I'm surprised yeah. it wasn't earlier. You know, they didn't try and yeah. release it earlier. Uh, James Dean Bradfield uh, was talking about the reasons why it was his least favorite. Um, and he put that thing of using she and beauty as a metaphor never really sat that well with me. I thought we were a bit out of our depth. I didn't think it was one of Rich's best lyrics. Mm-hmm. I wanted If White America to be the single. Yeah. So I've, I've got to tell you a story. Go on then. I don't, about... Am I going to... Go on, I'll let you tell it. I don't, been... I, I don't like the look on your face. <laughs> There's nothing new there. When I was listening to this album in the car quite regularly, right, um, I would listen to it on the morning whilst doing the school run. And um, I got in the car one, one morning having um, my daughter got in the car before me. And because the car's parked against the wall, she has to climb over the driver's seat to yep. get to the passenger seat right. um, where her car seat is, is currently ensconced. And I, get, <laughs> I got in the car and she's got this look on her face like, like what the f- yeah chuff's going on here and I sat I, I sat down and closed the door and she said daddy um, there was a lady on the CD talking about God and uh, the devil so I just turned it off because it was a bit frightening yeah. mm-hmm. and she'd she'd accidentally knocked, knocked, it. knocked yeah. it on and then this the intro to this song the spoken word bit um by uh, a lady called Irene MacDonald, whose daughter Jane was a victim of the Yorkshire Ripper. Um, she does this quote, I wonder who you think you are. You damn well think you're God or something. God give life. 
God taketh it away, not you. I think you are the devil itself. The weird thing is, though, that accent is very much like accents that we hear every day, isn't yeah, it? Because yeah. of where where from and where, you know, like these people, the victims of the Ripper were. So it must have been yeah. really weird for her. Oh, massively so, massively so. I mean, like, she, she was like... Like looking at me, like what? The, what are you yeah. listening to in the car? Like <laughs> when yeah. you're driving around on your own, and I had to explain to her what it was and, yeah. and the context of the quote. So the the, um, the voice is from a BBC Newsnight right. uh, report by Martin Young, and it was originally televised on the 27th of November 1980, um, whereby grieving relatives and victims of the Yorkshire Ripper, um, whose real name is Peter Sutcliffe, um, it was a a serial killer in the late seventies and early eighties in the uh, in the north of uh, the UK, and it, basically, these the grieving relatives of, of his victims were given um, opportunity to speak uh, directly to camera um, as they seek information from the British public to help bring the as yet unidentified murderer to justice. Um, so when Irene Macdonald gave that that quote, um, he hadn't been caught. Um, so it wasn't until a year later, on the second of January, nineteen eighty-one, that he was caught and arrested and convicted. By which time he'd been, he'd had a five-year reign of terror. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, it's you know, geographically, it's we are in the area where all of those took place, just about yeah. are we? Maybe they're a bit, a yeah. little bit more towards like Uddersfield, a lot of it. But when he was arrested, he was taken to Dewsbury Police Station, yeah. which is about three and a half miles from where we're sitting now. So. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine being a woman for those five years, though, living round here. Yeah. It must have been terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely terrifying. And and also, not only that, but with an ambivalent police force as well, who more often than not made victims yeah. feel like it was their fault for either dressing the way they were dressed yeah. or, or, or for being a prostitute. They, you know, they were um, very clear in the language that the police used at the time they treat it was quite obvious that they treated prostitutes differently mm. or the murder of prostitutes differently to the murder of women who weren't prostitutes it's like um jack the ripper times isn't it yeah kind of yeah. like treating people like that so uh, you know as we've been discussing the, the the theme of this particular set of lyrics is it's actually it's around serial killers and the glorification thereof mm. hence um, hindley brady Island, yeah. it's a Colin Island, is it? Yes, yeah. Allett, Beverly Allett, yeah. Sutcliffe, Dharma, Nielsen, yeah. Yeah, quite quite a divisive song, um, and and I think um, it has inspired much debate over the actual lyrical meaning because I don't think the band themselves have been a hundred percent clear on what the actual lyrics mean. I think they've, you know. they've given varying accounts as well of how they yeah. feel about it now because. Well, what do you, do you think it comes across as being like in favour of the death penalty? I think that's one of the things which comes up in lyric um, when people analyse it. Yeah, you know, um, Edwards has said, um, you know, his views on capital punishment have been expressed in the past in in, in interviews, um, and he and he told a journalist called Simon Price that the idea of a return to nineteenth-century criminal justice appealed to him. Mm. It's got the bit about tear the torso with horses and chains. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not quite, maybe not quite that. But yeah, it's, it's, it is a weird one because when it says give them the respect they deserve, you know, you can take that either way, can't you? Yeah, yeah. And and that, that line, give them the respect they deserve, is a key line because 
It's repeated. To, a yes, lot. yeah, but but also to whom is the respect deserved? The victims or yeah. the perpetrators? Um, you know, are we talking about giving respect to Hindley and Brady and Ireland and and all those guys? Or you know, all those murderers? Or are they victims? Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. Um, the songs. This this is from uh, manixdiscog.wordpress.com, who has an entire blog regarding this album and and some of um, the comments. And they've been really useful in the research uh, for this. So they've, they've put the song Savage lyrics have been interpreted in a wide variety of ways, many of which are conditional on the listener's perspective on Edward's beliefs and state of mind while he was writing. As a result, Archives of Pain has been variously described as a frank advocacy of capital punishment on Edward's part. An argument for capital punishment from a third-party perspective with which Edwards did not agree. The contemplation on the subject which Edwards has not made up his mind, and various others. Um, speaking to Melody Maker in 1994, Wire described the song as not a right-wing statement, but rather an argument against this fascination with people who kill. Mm. There's um, also other... It's not just serial killers that are listed in there. No. There's all kinds of political figures that are, are listed yeah. as well, isn't there? Yeah. Um, Idi Amin, uh, Slobodan Milosevic... Um, is is mentioned in there as well. Le Pen is that the Le Pen that's that's Marine Le Pen's dad, Jean right, Marie okay. Le Pen, right. who was a right wing uh, politician. And what she she is now? She's now the leader of the French right wing, right? Yeah, opposition party, right? So yeah, and, and also you know he's got pickles in there, which is a reference to uh, Judge James Pickles, who was a judge, and he had expressed his abhorrent views through the British press one of one of his views was that victims of rape were asking for it yeah um, and he openly said this in public in, in you know um, which is just abhorrent and horrible really so you know I guess it's, I guess it's painting a picture of you know both sides of, of the argument I, I get the feeling that it's kind of try, it's walking a tightrope hmm. and I don't think he necessarily wants to come down on either side, but wants to sort of stay on the fence a little bit and just sort of tease out opinions and thoughts from the audience rather than prescribe, like, oh, this is what you should think about this issue. I think what it's saying is, okay, here's a sort of my view of it, or two views presented simultaneously or whatever, or here's a view of it that I don't necessarily agree with, what do you think? Yeah. You know, I think he's handing the baton back to the audience to sort of, you know, inspire debates like this. The little, um, the little picture in the album sleeve has got, I think it's a guillotine, like the stage yeah. of an execution. Yeah. It's difficult to make out, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, let's have a look. I've got it written down here. Uh an engraving depicting an execution by guillotine right, in revolutionary okay. France right. um, is the accompanying image. Every song has got an accompanying image on the uh, yeah on the thing on the album. And going on from this uh, Manix Discog WordPress uh, article, the song takes advocacy of retributive killing to ap- apocalyptic extremes. Uh, lines like "All I preach is extinction. Man makes death. Death makes man," and the sheer brutality of the punishments the song endorses all imply that it is a madman speaking. So there's that view also, you know, Mm. it could be the voice of insanity that is being expressed. Further confusing the situation is the assertion from the authors of of Manix.nl 
that uh, Edward's belief that Foucault's book Discipline and Punish advocated more brutal forms of criminal punishment, um, that that was absolutely wrong. Instead, the site goes on to say, Foucault rejects 19th century ways of punishment. He just describes them in his analysis of the development of punishment to show that our modern system of punishment is not as humane and right as we think. It is a totally different sort of punishment, but as wrong as the 19th century way. Archives of Pain is not a right-wing song about an eye-for-an-eye concept, but is a statement against the glorification of serial killers. I think it's not like it's a simple topic that it's approaching, is it? No, no. no I, I, and I don't you're right. I, I prefer the point of view that it's it's just presenting lots of things at once, you know, like not, and just putting it out there. Yeah, Maybe, yeah. because it's not like asking somebody the favourite flavour of crisps, is it? It's like, it's a complex, yeah. you know, it's a yeah. complex thing to be considering. It is, it is uh, incredibly complex. To return to the to Irene MacDonald on the, the intro, um, I think the fact that they've used the voice of a victim of such a killer to introduce, you know, to, to introduce the song tells its own story and I think that line I think that for me that gives closure to the line give them the respect they deserve yeah and I think that line falls down on the side of the victims yeah it sounds like me being told off does that voice though do you know like who do you think you are just the accent behind it the kind of thing that you know like people would have said like used to say who do you think you are yeah, you know that kind of thing, like teachers and just and just it's the accent that does it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, musically. Yeah, it's that riff. The, well, the bass sound obviously is like one of, is one of my favourite parts of the song. Sludgy, but the actual riff, the detuned, it's detuned, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, that could stand if with a bit more distortion on it in a different band. That would be the heaviest riff in the world. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt, yeah. um, it, it reminds me of an Alice in Chains riff song called "Damn That River." Yeah, it reminds me of Pantera for some reason. The actual well, movement of yeah. the of the um, well, they cite Pantera as an influence. Do they? It reminds me of them, yeah. It reminds me of that in you know it's quite, quite chromatic, yeah. isn't it? And especially that way you go from. I'm it, trying to say you know when you go from the D to like an E flat, yeah, just half tone movement, yeah, is really te- makes it really tense, doesn't it? Yeah, it's unsettling. It's not like you resolve it to someplace nice. Yeah. You've got a really dirty riff, and then within the riff, it's kind of the movement within it is still very unsettling as well. Yeah. Oh, it reminded me of Gang of Four. Right. Which I think is another influence on... There's Gang of Four, yeah. James Dean Bradfield especially. But yeah, that that sort of dirty, sludgy bass sound is kind of reminiscent of Gang of Four for me. And the guitar bit behind it as well is very much like, because it's quite trebly and... You know, yeah, that, that kind of muted um, thing that he does on the high strings. It's quite quite um, post-punk um, in a lot of ways. Um, tempo-wise, this is another one that sort of, where the tempo fluctuates. Intentionally uh, and unintentionally, I think. I don't think they're meant yeah. to speed up. You know, you pointed out yeah. in the verse, maybe not. But then you start, oh, actually, it kind of sounds all right. But obviously at the end, it you know it keeps yeah. going, keeps oh, going, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of... Um, like, like the, you know, the unintent, perhaps unintentional pickups in tempo through the first verses and, and, and first verse and pre-chorus. It's kind of a bit like, um, I don't know if you know about 
Common People by Paul. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's that it, like throughout the song, yeah, the just, tempo just keeps. Yeah, I think I've seen some documentary of him playing the the song right at the beginning, and then he skips right to the end, yeah. and you can see how it's yeah. it's way faster. But also, um, probably more pertinently, it put me in mind of Husker Du's Fifty Nine Times the Pain right. of New Day Rising, right. which is an album we should probably take a look at at some point oh, in the future. Yes. But um, you know the. It, that that's a song. Fifty nine times of pain is a song that's got chromatic chord progressions and tempo changes within it, which just breaks all the rules of yep. writing a decent pop song. Not that that is trying to be a decent pop song, but you know they say that if you want people to dance to music, you've got to give them a steady beat. Yep. If you change tempo, it messes with people's mm-hmm. ability to dance to the track, and and especially at the end with the guitar solo, which. I think if ever you've been bludgeoned about the head by a guitar solo, I think that's it. You know, because you've you've just spent like four minutes <laughs> listening to this list of abhorrent people um, and their deeds and 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 all that, and then you get this really dystopian metallic yeah. guitar solo that just seems to go on longer than his comfortable to listen to and then it goes back to the intro bass yeah. with the um kind of the, the guitar just picking out the root notes of it yeah like just that e to sorry a d to an e flat thing which sounds really droning and like i don't know it's yeah it is yeah. It's, it's pretty intense is that end bit it is should we have should we have a brief respite and listen to revolve yeah So, Revol, before we get started, this was once described as the band as utter dog shit. <laughs> yes, yeah, I've read that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I would disagree. Um, I quite like it. I, I like it. I, and, and, you know, what it's I was like a about, bit of relief, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and you know, what I was saying about um, uh, Manics never sort of losing their pop sensibility. Mm. In another dimension, this song is being performed by, I don't know, Alphabet or yeah. something. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. it is a pop song. Yeah, it is. Uh, absolutely a pop song. The arrangement, the four to the floor beat, you know, in the in the middle eight, you know, and, and, and in, through the instrumental section. Just, it is a, a pure pop song, but it's yep. a pop song with political intent. It's got lots of stuff in it, which I don't quite... Like, I, you probably realise from listening to this that my analysis of lyrics is yeah. cursory. <laughs> Yeah. Is cursory the right word when you don't look at something very much? Or you just give yeah. it a glance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just some of the stuff about self-love in his mirrors, that is about Khrushchev. Yeah. Brezhnev married into group sex. Yeah. Gorbachev celibate self-importance. Yeah. I mean, you know. It's it's almost like a... Um, it's a list song, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's like trying to... I guess he's trying to sum up these 
people in as few in as succinct a way as possible. Mm. And it's interesting that all the Russian guys are in the first verse. Yeah, <laughs> it's like lumped them all together and and picked apart their little uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not foibles, peccadillos. Peccadillos. That's the word I'm looking for. Well done. Yeah, and it's this is from repeat fanzine. You know, it hasn't escaped anyone's notice that it's not only short for revolution, but also. If you read it backwards, yeah, it's lover. Why described revolt as being Edward's idea about Edward's idea that uh, relationships in politics and relationships in general are failures, which again is a really, for me, not a blatantly obvious concept. Reading the lyrics, no, it's not. I don't get that at all from from reading these lyrics. Well, um, when you've written something, you know where it's you know, what your intention was behind it. Yeah. And that, you know, there are going to be times where that gets lost Yeah, uh, on the person that's reading it. I don't know how much James Dean Bradfield would edit down these lyrics. You know, if there were... I if, don't think he did at all. Yeah, I mean, because this has probably got the fewest lyrics, hasn't it? Is it this and Die in the Summertime or This Is Yesterday have got the fewest lyrics yeah. on it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I just wondered if there was maybe other bits in the song which reflected what their state in the meaning of it is a little more. I mean, reading between the lines, um, the chorus, um, Liebensraum, it's living space, isn't it? Which is the the excuse that Hitler had for invading other countries. Right, okay. That his Aryan race needed this all this extra uh, living space, which they were perfectly entitled to because they were the master race. Mm. Um, Kulturkampf is German for culture struggle. Rausch Rausch is German for out, out, and filler, filler. Um, is Italian. It means form a line. All right. Um, Not the which, shoes, then. No, no, mm, and, I, th- and I think I think it's kind of it's almost it's like almost like a military kind of yeah. thing. So again, you know, it, it feels like it's a it's a commentary on fascism and dictatorships, and um, you know that that we are governed by essentially weak people. Mm who are in positions of, of extreme power. You know, all, all the people that are listed in this song are, are either politicians, dictators, revolutionaries, uh, or relig- uh, there's one religious zealot at the end. It's an interesting selection of people. It is. I don't, I don't, I don't really know what else to say about it. Um, no, I don't either. Other than it was one of the last songs to be written for the Holy Bible, mm. um, along with This Is Yesterday. Third, the second single was it? I think it yeah, was. You, yeah, yeah. If you count yeah. Faster and PCP as being, yeah, they're, they're the same one. So yeah, Revol, yeah. and then She's Suffering was the third one. Yeah, so yeah. it's the second one. Yeah, but it is a it is a great song. Yep, it's a great song. It's a rocket ship to Mars with boosters on hmm? full thwack. That's what they were aiming for, I think. Mm. I bet they were. Right, let's go on to what I would consider to be the centerpiece of the whole album. Yeah. I find it's really difficult to listen to this song, so... Well, yeah, yeah it is. It is It is incredibly difficult. I, I think the whole album, after, you know, repeated listens, is difficult to to listen to. I bet it was hard to play on tour as well. I know, I, I think that as well. <laughs> Every night. Yeah. There'd be more songs from Generation Terrorists and Gold Against Soul creeping into the yeah. set as it went along. We'll skip over Foster. Yeah, yeah. I think alongside some of the songs about um, which are referred to, you know, like when they went to concentration camps, this is the one which is frequently brought up, isn't it, as being 
you know, like a, a real key piece of the album that people comment on. And I think we yeah. haven't mentioned it too much yet because I think there's enough being said and written about over the years about Richie Edwards and his disappearance and mental health struggles. But this is like peering into somebody's head. Yeah. Even though he's kind of doing it from the point of view of somebody else, it's, you know, it's blindingly obvious what he's writing about. Yeah, I'd, I don't want to comment too much on the lyrics to this because I don't, I don't want to get anything wrong yeah. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. There's a very, very specific meaning and purpose behind every single part of these yeah. lyrics. Yeah. And I think sometimes if you overanalyze something that's as personal as this, you run the risk of getting things wrong. Yeah. And and knowing, you know, these battles with anorexia and and the like the mental health struggles I've said, I think it would be, you know, we don't know him. No. <laughs> you know, we didn't know no. him, did we? So it's Well, I mean, even James Dean Bradfield, um, I said, I felt like I was prying when yeah. I wrote it. It was a weird feeling. Um, that is, quote at the beginning. Yeah. I eat too much to die and not enough to stay alive. I'm yeah. sitting in the middle waiting. Yeah. It's just terrifying that. Yeah. It, it they was, buried it in the US mix. It's not on the, it's not really in it. You can, it's, no. it's kind of there, but it's not as well. Well, you know, they're probably listening to that going, oh, this is a bit of a downer, man. College radio on yeah. WXRFM, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, the quote is by a lady called Caroline Neville Lister, who was an anorexia patient um, who died age 29. Um, taken, it's taken from the 40 Minutes documentary, which was screened on BBC Two on the 11th of January 1994. The documentary was called Caroline's Story, um, A Young Anorexic's Final Months. Um, the documentary was directed by Jeremy Llewellyn Jones and reflects one day in the life of Caroline. I can't imagine a documentary like that being made today. I can remember it being on. Yeah, I, I can remember it being on. Mm. I can't imagine the BBC commissioning anything as, as you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, it, it's, it's quite emotionally charged, isn't it? You know, yeah. the, the, the whole... Uh, subject matter and at that time anorexia wasn't as much in the public conscience as mm. it is like think, now it's it's more recognised as a serious yeah. issue um, that that you know I think mental health issues help in general weren't um, discussed quite yeah. so much yeah. and so, maybe you know maybe this documentary was a trailblazing in that respect yeah, and it was shining a light into a dark corner that um, not many people had thought to look yeah. Um, so you know, hats off to Jeremy Llewellyn Jones for that. But yeah, I think it is probably the most autobiographical lyric. Um, hence, James Dean Bradfield's uh, discomfort uh, when working on the song. He does an amazing job, though, of matching the lyrical content to the actual music. Yeah. You know, finding yeah. something which, because yeah. to me, the verses sound like um, chaos. Yeah. Which, um, and then you get like almost like a light uh, relief in the choruses, even though the the lyrical matter is still really um, dark. Yeah. And then, as what happens a lot with manic songs, you know, they, they transition straight back into a dark part of a song, straight yeah. from a lighter part. And then this yeah. one's got all that second part, which, you know, like we've talked about, I don't know how he managed to sing it live. I really don't. Yeah. 
It's interesting that the, the, the documentary that we've just been talking about was broadcast on the 11th of January 1994 for the first time because this was the first song recorded for the Holy Bible right. um, on the 14th of February 1994. So less than a month, he must have taped it off the telly to get the audio. Mm. So less than a month after it was first broadcast, it's you know yeah. being integrated into, into the intro for, for this song. Um, Four Stone 7 um, is the threshold weight... Uh, below which death is said to be medically unavoidable for an anorexic sufferer. Oh so that's where the song song title com- comes from. Um, talking about this ominous track and the complicated time signature changes, James Dean Bradfield accurately observed, of all the songs on the Holy Bible, it has the most amount of words. Uh, and when I look at the main body of the lyric, I wanted to reflect the frenetic nature of this vanity that keeps analysing itself and keeps trying to find a reason for something which is so irrational. Mm. Which kind of ties into what you were saying about the sense of chaos in the yeah. verses and, and, and mm. whatnot. Then I wanted there to be resolution in the end. Um, I wanted there to be some kind of defeat because the lyrics at the end seem to have a self-knowing, wry observation about themselves that they knew they were being irrational, but they couldn't stop it. It's the one song that I didn't enjoy writing the music to. There are moments of the Bible where I felt as if I was being really precarious about singing the thoughts of other people channeled through Richie, but I felt slightly uneasy doing that song. Um, I was glad when I was finished. It felt like I was prying when I wrote it. It mm. was a weird feeling. Yeah. It ends, you know, like the the final chord of it sort of feels like it needs to resolve somewhere else, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, like, it feels like, you know, there's another yeah. chord that it needs to go to, so you go, ah, that's it, you know, yeah. we're back at home base chord-wise, but yeah. um, but it doesn't, which suits the lyrical theme of yeah. it as well. it's kind of an ambiguous um, musical ending. Yeah. It feels like there should be some sort of res- resolving of, of that suspended chord at the end. But the thing is, is that you know that it's coming, even though it's, like, even though in Latin the lyric, mm. you know that the end is not, probably not that far away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which makes it all the more bleak, really. You know, there's, there, just to sort of talk about the lyrics a little bit, there are lines like the first line, day since I last pissed, cheeks sunken and despaired. That, to me, is really a, a, as bleak an opening lyric as you could possibly get. Um, and, and to contrast that, there's throwaway lines like Kate and Christine and Kit Kat, all things I like looking at, which has got a really childish, yeah. childlike, naive quality to it. Kate being Kate Moss, Kristen being Kristen who were both, you know, obviously famous models at the time. And Kit Kat, which if you, I don't know, if you don't live in the UK, uh, it's a chocolate biscuit. You know, it's got these sort of contrasts. And then there's the, you know, I want to walk in the snow and not leave a footprint. I want to walk in the snow and not soil its purity. Like, it's like life goals in two, you know, in four lines, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, as, as James and Bradfield alluded to there, um, you know, it's that irrational sort of quest to keep ploughing this furrow, even though you know that it will um, result in your own demise. Yeah. I think know. it's because it's from the point of view of being in the midst of it. You know, like it's not mm. somebody looking back on something no, or no. commenting on something in a kind of a detached yeah. way. It's like somebody from right within the midst of something which they've yeah. obviously been through themselves. And, yeah. and it's completely, there's no, I want to get better of in it no. whatsoever, is no. there? 
there's like a pride in it and, yeah yeah um or feeling like it's some kind of achievement yeah yeah and and the ultimate achievement is to walk in the snow and not spoil its purity uh, you know i.e to be so to you know to be really literal about it to be so light yeah that you float yep that line legs bend stocking diane twiggy and i don't mind the horror that surrounds me it's just there's a resignation there which is just heartbreaking really um as i think uh, you know lyrically it's it's massively accomplished musically uh, the music matches the lyric in terms of that accomplishment he's got some brilliant guitar playing on it yeah you know some of the little lead yeah. lines on it and it's brilliant yeah yeah, yeah. I, you know, I love the bit where um, it goes into the pre-chorus and the, that little guitar arpeggio, sort of, and the kick drum going on every beat, four to the floor, sort of really sort of motors mm. out of the verse and, and into the into the sort of release of the chorus, um, which I think is just you know arranging wise is 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 a masterstroke. And I've also noted here about the vocal um, in the verse mirrors the regimented guitar riff. Where it's got like an almost staccato kind of feeling to, to the to the you know to the delivery of the lyric. Yeah. And then you know uh, it's it's another song on which the the coda to the song doesn't appear anywhere else in the composition. Mm. Um, and there's kind of like a really for me really stark contrast in the 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 what you, what you might call the outro musically and the rest of the the song. Like there's almost like a sort of like say like a resignation, but like a letting go. Yeah, you know, like. Well, it says in the last line, doesn't it? I finally come to understand life. Yeah, it's like that's full acceptance. Acceptance, that isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing, really. I mean, it's so hard to listen to. <laughs> Even then, listening to it, it was really hard not to pause it and say. Uh, we don't really need to listen to this again. We can. Yeah, we know what it is. We know what it is. <laughs> but I mean, that's what all great art does. You know, it confronts you with ideas and thoughts and feelings that maybe aren't always the most comfortable to to confront. Should we move on to another cheery number about the Holocaust? Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> Mausoleum, then. Um, Again, shall I um, start off with a quote by Nicky Wire? Yes. Okay. Um, the song was originally going to be dubbed No Birds, but PIL, Public Image Limited, which was uh, John Lydon's band after the Sex Pistols, um, already had a track with the same name. Then Richie said he had a much better title, and I concurred. Mausoleum sounded far more scary. Have you listened to that Public Image Limited album? Metal box. No, I generally veer away from anything that's got John Lydon on it, but it's actually quite good, you know, the yeah. mu- musically. You know, it's um, it's you can see it is a bit of an influence on this. Yeah, I'll check it out definitely. Um, even though I too have an aversion to John Lydon. Yeah. Um, unveiling to the quarterly in two thousand and fourteen, um, where I said uh, I wrote the original lyric ideas in my hotel room after walking around Belson. Um, I was struck by the lack of creatures and the silence. There's greenery and trees, but it seemed to me even nature couldn't face touching that horror. Um, and I can confirm that this is true because I've been to Belson um, in the, also in the mid-90s. Um, and at the time, it was a, an army barracks called... Uh, a British army barracks uh, called Bergen-Horner. Um, and I was doing the sound for a club turn who were booked to play at the Sergeant's Mess. 
Um, in, a, in a concentration camp. Ex- yeah, yeah. Outdoors as well. And I can concur, there are no birds, no butterflies, no nothing. You know, there's, there's plenty of grass and trees and stuff, but there's very little else. And it is a really, really eerie mm. feeling, that that sort of because you don't realise that the the chatter of birds and and you know it's just there all constantly yeah. around you, isn't it? When you're outside, yeah. so you and, tune it out. And the absence of it is quite a shock, actually. And uh, we slept in a building uh, which was used as a hospital following the liberation of the camp. And I could, I found it really hard to sleep. And say, did you sleep well in that? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, it, it was, it was quite. So a sobering experience, even at that young yeah. age. <laughs> mm. So yeah, you know, another song about the uh, about the Holocaust. Again, it's lyrically dense. I mean, yeah. you know, even, I, I know you said that Four Stone Seven's got the most words in it, but this can't be far behind. No, I mean, as, you know, as as we were just listening to it, then the you know, regain your self control and regain your self esteem and blind your success inspires and analyze. That whole section of lyrics, even listening to it with the words in front of me, I found it really hard to follow where I was on, yeah. you know, on the particular line. And I think part of that is again because you know certain lyrics have been stretched or cross over the the bar line, um, which makes them scan in really interesting and unconventional ways. So the line um, and blind your success inspires and analyze, despise and scrutinize. The nice of scrutinise lands on the first beat of the yeah. next bar, which, again, is is quite unsettling and yep. a bit discombobulating to listen to. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of words to fit into such a short space of time. Musically, it's a really, really great kind of composition, I think. Yeah. There's loads of really, really good stuff in it. You know, the, the main verse riff is... Um, it's got some weird intervals in it, which makes it sound unsettling. I wonder how yeah. many times we've said that. I'm trying to find the part, the lyrics that go under a certain part of this song, and normally they'd just jump out at you from the yeah. page, wouldn't they? But they don't, because like what you're saying, it is quite difficult at times yeah. to kind of match up what's being said. It's the bit before the uh, the No Birds, so all of the Regained Your Self Control yeah. Regained. Just how it's just the music behind that, which is just single yeah. chord on a guitar. Yeah. Really aggressive. I like that part of it. Relentless and then the, as well, isn't it? And then the no birds bit, it's like it's a bit like status quo. Yeah. <laughs> Have you got that? I, yeah. I was about to say the one thing that I like about the chorus is the status quo guitars. I know it's like Caroline. Yeah. Or this, I think it's that chord. Down, and down you, or whatever. You add the little extra little pinky a, finger. It's a sixth in it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's um yeah. Yeah. And also it's another ending to a song that bears no relation to the rest of the song. And it speeds up as well. Yep, um, they like that. They're bending all the rules on this uh, on this album. Um, I'm formulating this idea as I go along. Um, we've I think we've had like three songs now where the end the coda to the song is, you know, a different outro, a different part, a different section which bears no relation to what came before. And I'm just wondering if there's a certain idea of there's so much to express in the lyric that it can't be done in, like, the the conventional verse, chorus, verse, chorus, middle eight, double chorus. You should end up with, like, four, four verses. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like... Um, yeah, it's true. 
Because there's only a certain amount of syllables, I suppose, that you can yeah. cram into a verse and a chorus. And if you're presented with mausoleum, if that's how you say it, yeah. which has got all of those words, it's like, it's great lyrics, but where am I going to put them all? Yeah, exactly. So maybe you need a coda, <laughs> yeah. an extra bit at the end just to... I'd never thought of it that get way Get them before, all in, you know. Which would explain why Four Stone Seven is like two songs put together, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of two different musical pieces put together. The quote in this one comes in the middle, which is not, which kind of books the trend for the rest of them. In yep. the poshest voice I think I've ever heard. <laughs> Do you not think? It's a very, very plummy. Yeah, from like if English me or you said accent. the word vomit. Yeah. Vomit. He says vomit. Vomit. <laughs> Want to rub the human face in its own vomit. Vomit, yes. Yeah, Force so it to take a look in the mirror. So who is it? J.G. Ballard. It's J.G. Ballard, yes, who was uh, um, a, a, an author, um, famously wrote uh, the novel Crash. He's not known for his cheery pieces of work, is he? So it's done, no. it's it's no coincidence that that comes. Yeah, uh, that he's got a quote on here. Yeah, and he was talking about basically that quote explains his motivations for writing Crash, oh. which I think is a, a similarly shared uh, motivation by Richie Edwards and Nicky Wire as well mm. uh, in, in you know in writing their lyrics. I'm sure they would. Um, Richie Edwards especially would would um, strive to rub the human face in its own vomit. Which isn't a criticism. I think the human face deserves to be rubbed in its own vomit on occasion mm. um, and, and forced to look in the mirror. I think um, probably there's not enough self-reflection going on in the world. So I think, you know, I think it's the perfect quote for, for, for the Manics. I'm not quite sure how it fits into this particular song. Is it not just making people look at what deep down they're capable of? Next up is the first single from the album, which yep. I've got in front of me. An original copy. It is an original get it, copy. Get yeah. it on eBay. Yeah. So it's got Faster and PCP. Now, I'm not sure if it was classed as being like a double A side. It was. Because it was. back in them days, albums, um, CD singles often had like another song from an album on, didn't they, as well? Yeah. And then a couple of B-sides on it as well. But um, And it's... It just makes me feel really nostalgic looking at this because you've got, it's like a big gatefold CD single. Yeah. Loads of pictures inside it. Yeah. Uh, it's got a, a quote on the back of it from Solomon Northup. Yeah. Not sure who 12 he is. 12 Years a Slave. Oh, right, okay. There's a guy that wrote that. God, I showed my ignorance there, didn't I? To the, uh, anyway. And I know at the time they said they were, they never used Richie cutting himself to a kind of or to glamorise it or use it to their advantage, but there is a picture of him on the back with lots of cuts on his chest. Right. Which didn't... I remember at the time just thinking, oh, it doesn't sit right with me, that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't yeah, know whether I'm yeah. just being too prudish, but I just thought it, it just didn't really sit correctly with me, um, especially because fans latched onto it, didn't they, as well? But yeah. the perfect single, I'm surprised it's so yeah. late in the album. Yeah. Usually singles are near the beginning, aren't they? Yeah. And maybe they just thought, well, we're going to have to cheer people up towards the end because... Well, I, and, and also I kind of think it's a sign that the band have got absolute faith in the, the body of work as a whole. Yeah. That they can put what is easily, for me, the best song on the album. I know I said Four Stone Seven was a centrepiece, and I think it is, but this, for me, is is my favourite track. And, you know, last last time out with the Metallica... Master Puppets, I couldn't think of my favourite Metallica song. This is absolutely my favourite Manic mm. Street Preachers song. Yeah, it's, um, probably, it's, it's up there with, with mine, definitely. Um, it's yeah. 
But it also makes me think maybe they always had an idea of the sequence of the songs. You know, like it was always meant to be there. Yeah. Um, I might be completely wrong. Maybe they just thought, well, we'll just put it there because it breaks up a few bleaker moments on the album. But yeah, um, well, there, there is um, online um, on repeat fanzine.co.uk uh, which again I can't stress enough if you're into the Manics check that out it is amazing there there is on on, on there uh, on, on his blog a picture of a flyer or a poster for the Holy Bible a promotional poster and it has a different track listing does it? oh yeah. right so yeah. that's not what um, so uh, they obvi- it was obviously something that they worked on throughout the, the process in a 2011 NME poll uh, the Manics themselves named Faster as their best single yeah, uh, which was labelled by the long-standing music publication as the most incendiary tour de force of their career, uh, the band on the point of glorious combustion, um, a Molotov cocktail of post-punk guitar powers along one of Rich's most free-form and barbed lyrical displays, the results of one of the most intense compositions of all time and one of the most exhilarating pop songs of all time, which I would not disagree with yeah. a single word of. Um, before I, I, I pulled that quote off the, the web, I wrote in my notes my favourite Manic Street Preacher song, um, Incredible Energy, Unstop- Unstoppable Juggernaut, Exhilarating, Getting Launched Into Space, a fantastic mix of vocal melody and guitar melody, great guitar harmonies, fantastic guitar solo, powerful committed vocal delivery, a lyric that is aloof as it is vulnerable and defiant, possibly the most joyous, in air quotes, track on the album. Um, yeah. And it, it has got a feeling of joy to it, it's, I think. What I think is funny about this is that the, the last single on Gold Against the Soul was Roses in the Hospital. Yeah. So the two releases that were back-to-back, if you look on the singles, so you get like the ones off Gold Against the Soul, which is Roses in the Hospital, and then the next one down is Faster. And they yeah. couldn't be more different, could they, in no. intent? I mean, I love them both, but yeah. just it's... It's, yeah. it's brilliant. Um, I've got quite a long quote here, which I might re- might not include all of it. I might just read okay. it out. But this is from um, Repeat Fanzine. Um, it's quite a long quote, so just bear with me. Dissecting the furious urgency of the full throttle faster, uh, which was the last time that Nicky and Richie collaborated lyrically on an even keel, Nicky once stated, um, a lot of it is all Richie again, and he told me it was about self-abuse. Which again, I don't, I don't, I just don't see. Oh, maybe. Does it have the word faster in it? I don't think it does. It's not alluding. It doesn't mean speed, does it? Faster. It's alluding to kind well, of like the act of not eating. Well, fasting. It's, it's rumored. Yeah, it's rumored to have a double meaning. So it's right. based around the idea of acceleration of society, um, which you know, nearly 30 years down the line, we can fully appreciate mm. what that means, um, as well as fasting in terms of, like you say, not eating. Yeah. Um, I think it's the most, this is Nicky Wyatt, I think it's the most confusing song on the album. I've added some stuff about the regurgitation of 20th century culture and the way that everything's speeded up to such an extent that nobody knows if they've got any meaning anymore. It's not a postmodern nightmare number, it's more a voyeuristic insight into how our generation has become obliterated with sensations. We could deal with things, but we prefer to blank them out so that virtually every atrocity doesn't have as much impact anymore. I don't even know if that's a bad thing. I don't know if we're not on some kind of path to a super being where all emotions are lost and everyone finally gets on perfectly because of that. It's probably the first time that we've written a song 
and not completely understood what we've written. It's my title. I think the outro, Man Kills Everything, is mine. If you stand up like a nail is a Chinese proverb. So it's a perfect synthesis of everything, really. I think, I know I believe in nothing, but it's my nothing, is the great catchphrase of the 90s. And for Richie to actually write, I am stronger than Mensah, Miller and Mailer, it shows an almost heroic self-indulgence. But it makes you great. Because at that time, Blur's Girls and Boys went top five, and I remember thinking, what the fuck are we doing? (laughs) Just completely ostracised. But then I remember having a moment thinking, this is brilliant. We'd never felt so alone, and we were really distanced from everything else, and that's why we were the biggest cult band in Britain. It was one of those moments when you're never going to do something that good again. You might do something more commercial, more uplifting, which we have done. But the cultdom of it... I think it was once described as a heady mix of the Ace of Spades by Motorhead and Anarchy in the UK. It's quite a long, involved quote, but some of the things that he says in there are just yeah, really insightful and really self-aware and, and um, honest and, uh, you know... Um, and he's, I, I think he's absolutely... I, I couldn't disagree with anything that he said. I just love that line, I've been too honest with myself, I should have lied like everybody else. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean... When you think about the acceleration of society and how, you know, instant gratification is everywhere and decisions on whether or not you like something or something appeals to you made in, like, literally under a second on a daily basis and you are bombarded with this all this information and all these options and, um, you know, all this art and culture and politics and and all the rest of it, you you know, it's, it's literally like you are being bombarded by it all the time and you don't have the time to make informed choices or decisions anymore. You know, like before, you know, we're talking about Richie Edwards having a suitcase full of books. You had to work for it. You know, you had to dive in, read the book and make your own mind up. Whereas now I think things are a lot more prescribed and handed on a plate on a platter to people, you know. I think there is a section of society, though, as well, who, for the opposite is true, where, which is where maybe where this line comes into it, where people want to fit in. So they they see what everybody else is thinking. You know, they're going out and finding out what uh, popular opinion is on something, and then they formulate their own view. So you don't have that, you know, your own opinions. You're not 100% sure if they're yours sometimes, or whether it's what you feel like you should be, you know, thinking or saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, the quote um, perfectly just segues from, from what you've just said. Um, the quote, I hate purity, I hate goodness, I don't want virtue to exist anywhere, um, I want everyone corrupt. It's it's a line from the film version of uh, Orwell's 1984, which was directed by uh, Michael Redford and released, coincidentally, in 1984. Is it in um, the book? Yes, I the, think it is. The, the yeah. exact same quote. I love yeah. that book, but I haven't read it for uh, I've not years. read it for, for 20 years. Yeah. But yeah. Um, the movie stays very close to the book and sees Winston falling in love with a woman named Julia, played by Suzanne Hamilton. On their first secret encounter, Winston speaks to the lines mentioned above. Um, in a way, he is declaring his detest of the party, which has turned concepts such as purity, goodness and virtue into mere synonyms for loyalty to the party. There you go. There's a lot in that book. If you read that yeah. book now, <laughs> it, it doesn't, it, it's exactly, well, it, I, I don't think, it's probably more relevant now than it could have even predicted. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's an amazing and, and, kind of book. And, and the tragedy of that is that we've had 
70 or 80 years to do something about it. I know. Yeah, um, a, a couple of uh, interesting uh, little factoids. Well, not really factoids, but um, apparently the template for this song was Faith No More's From Out of Nowhere. Mm. Um, which, yeah, which absolutely makes sense now. You know, now it's been pointed out. Same um, intro. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, and we haven't really talked about Comfort Comes, which was a B-side from the life becoming a landslide. That was a great song. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it, it's been said that that's a bit of a stepping stone yeah. from the album to this. Um, if you actually listen to Comfort Comes, um, it's the same riff backwards, more or less. Like if you listen to faster, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, oh yeah, I've never and listen to Comfort Comes. It's literally just the same riff sped up and reversed. I seem to remember the production on that just being the the most sparse production yeah. ever. Yeah. Like guitar, bass, drums. I think even the guitar and the bass are hard panned left and right. Yeah, it's there's yeah. no central thing to it, but it's just yeah. I haven't listened to that song for ages. Yeah. I'll have to see if I can dig it out. Yeah, it's great. But it just popped up because that's because life becoming a landslide is not the greatest song in the world, is it? Oh, I like it. I think it's great. But to be on the same CD single as yeah. Comfort Comes, yeah, yeah. Has it got another one called Our Mother's Saints as yes. well? Is that yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Should we? Uh, yeah. Crack mot- on. Motor forth. <laughs> So two verses and a chorus, the lazy bastards. I know, but some of these lyrics, for, for somebody who's not a lyrics man, like some of the stuff that's on here is just like painful to listen to. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of one of two songs, isn't it? That's a sort of reflection on childhood um, that Richie Edwards mm. penned. Just that line, I repent, I'm sorry, everything's falling apart. It's just like bloody hell. Like yeah. Everybody's kind of... You, oh, yeah, it's almost too much that, yeah. li- that lyric. Although apparently it's a Nicky Wilde lyric I've got written down here. So, but it's yeah, I think yeah. I, I know I've said I've mentioned quite a lot of lyrics on this album that I really love, but I just think that one's the one which really kind of like feels like being punched. Yeah, yeah. Um, open G tuning. Yes, it's an open G tuning. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's it's uh, similar to She's Suffering, where it's got a more traditional song structure and arrangement. Yeah, um, and it's not as harmonically challenging to the ear. No, it's not as as other songs. Um, the the guitar solo in particular, I think, is just beautiful. It's how it comes in. It's because yeah. you've had these two verses. You've had the verse, chorus, verse, chorus of like tension. And I think that offbeat hi-hat as well kind of makes it bubble along. Yeah. And then you just get that snare hit and then what feels like it's a late snare hit because that's offbeat as well. Yeah. And then that guitar solo and everything comes in. It's just yeah. like... It's it's like it's like a cross between Slash and Richard Thompson. Oh, it's just like um, hairs on the back of your neck. It's one of those yeah. kind of... And it's really fuzzy as well, isn't it? Yeah. The guitar. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got... I've, I've written um, down here in, in, in my notes... Um, has a feeling of regret, sorrow, and nostalgia, uh, but is lacking in the spit and venom exhibited in other tracks. Also, is sung with less attack and something approaching tenderness. The soft underbelly of the Holy Bible. 
very good. Which I think, I think it, you know, it is, you know, but as as devastating as the lyric is in certain places, you know, the, there is a kind of sort of acceptance of, you know, either how things were or how things are. And, it's um, surprising that it's not a Richie Edwards lyric, isn't it? Yeah. It seems like yeah. it ties in with, you know, what would come after it and his state of mind and so on. But yeah. It's, um, it's, yeah, it's brilliant. But, you know, the, the line, um, the only way to gain approval is by exploiting the very thing that cheapens me, kind of ties in with, with the sperm the, thing. Yeah, with dressing up like a sperm. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> on Italian TV. Only on Italian TV, I think, could that I wonder could how that, that came about. <laughs> I've got they, an idea, uh, yeah, right? Yeah. Bear with me on this one. Yeah. Sperm, right? Yeah. I want you to dress up. Oh, my days. Yeah. I wonder what song they were playing. I don't know. If it were one off this album. Um, of Walking Abortion? <laughs> yeah. I'm proud of myself for that one. <laughs> well done. Pat on the back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I love it, but I don't really know how what, what to say about it. You know, kind of like, because yeah. it's... It's just got the lyrics are great, the feel of it's great. It's got an amazing guitar solo in it. Yeah, um, yeah. It's amazing. it's respite. Yes, it is. It's respite from the uh, horrors of the rest of the album until we get to die in the summertime next. Yeah. Well, do you know what? I've got a theory about this song, which Go I'm going to share with you now. Okay. So again, this is only three verses in a chorus. Mm. Um, uh, and this one is a, a, a Richie Edwards mm. uh, lyric. Now. As we mentioned earlier, the Manics have a history of covering pop tunes. So they've done uh, Borderline by Madonna. Oh, I love that song. Yeah, it's a great song. Uh, Last Christmas by Wham. Uh, Art Garfunkel's Bright Eyes. Uh, Can't Take My Eyes Off You, Andy Williams. And they've also covered one of my favourite songs of the 80s, um, Feels Like Heaven by right. Fiction Factory. Oh, yeah. Um, so, they've, you know, they've not lost touch with their um, pop roots. Now, I'll play you the intro to Die in the Summertime, right? Right, yeah. Okay. Pop roots and Die in the Summertime don't seem to be linking up just yet, so no. this will be interesting. Right, this riff here. Right, bear with me. <laughs> yeah. It does sound like it. What is it? Ville de by Abba. I did not think we were going to get to that. So, whenever I hear Die in the Summertime, that's that what you think of? I always think of Ville de by Abba. It's pretty weird, because I remember at the time reading an interview where they were describing the album, they said it's not Abba Gold. Yeah, you know, like well, As if to say it's the polar opposite of that. I think it's 0.1%. Well. Abba Gold. I didn't expect to be talking about that. It's... Um, it's quite dis well. It's pretty discordant, isn't it? That opening bit. Yeah. Because you've got two yeah. notes which are right next to each other, ringing out together, which makes it sound, um, you know, pretty dis yeah. discordant. I like those unison bass and snare hits coming into when it all comes in together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love this song. Yeah, I, th I think it's um, it's a great chorus. It is, isn't it? Um, I, I think if there was a you know if there was a fifth single, this would be right in line behind if White America. Uh, told the truth, definitely. Um, you know, I think in, in, in some respects, the bleakness of, of Richie Edwards' worldview at the time and, and the lyrics he was writing are somewhat combated by James Dean Bradfield's knack for finding a hook mm. and an up, finding a, a relatively uplifting chorus. And, you know, 
it must have been really hard working with this source material and and coming up with choruses like you know a song that's titled "Die in the Summertime," yeah, but still writing something that people will sing along to. I know, I love that chorus. You know? It's like a little lift, isn't it? Yeah, I've crawled yeah. so far sideways. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, I think you know. Whereas this is yesterday's Nicky Wire's um, vision of of childhood or memories of childhood, um, Richie Edwards' memories of childhood, and no less sad. <laughs> Mm. In a in a way, you know, but you know the, the the line, the opening line, "Scratch my leg with a rusty nail, sadly it heals," is very sort of feels very sort of no. typically nihilistic. Of I hope he went for a tetanus. <laughs> yeah. Don't you? Yeah. Color my hair, but the dye grows out. I can't seem to stay a fixed ideal. All those sort of snatched memories of childhood, you know, yeah. playing on building sites and. You know, experimenting with hair colour and stuff like that. But again, such economy of, of words, such succinctness, it's, yeah. it's, it is really, really impressive. The guitar solo's quite odd to listen to, just how it shifts between the chords and then the little riffs within each chord change. Yeah. It sounds like being sort of pushed around a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's... A, it's I don't know, are they purposefully backloading the album with the more relatively uplifting stuff. I don't know. I mean, by this time, track 11 of a 13-song album, bands have run out of steam, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. And this doesn't really feel like the case at all here. No, no. I think I think early doors and early um, track listing had died in the summertime quite early on yeah. in the album, and I can see why. But I think songs like um, Faster and Die in the Summertime actually... Where they are in the the the, the track listing actually save the album, mm. Se- like seriously make you, it listenable. Yeah, if you, <laughs> you swap know. if you swap around like faster and archives of pain, yeah, and on swap of walking abortion and this is yesterday. Oh no, maybe die in the summertime. Yeah, there's definitely a sequence of this album which would make it even more of a tough slog than it can yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And from that. Oh, <laughs> the the intense humming of evil. This is the most unnerving track on the whole thing. It's I probably think. the one that I know the least, to be honest. Yeah. It's one like I I love it all the album, but this is the one which maybe uh, is the one that I know the least. Um, yeah. You know, kind of the other ones, I feel like I know inside out. You know, structure wise, all the little quirks of it and all the different parts of the songs, but this one maybe less so. Yeah. Um. W- you know, again, it's another song about the Holocaust mm. and the horrors of, of war. You know, that line, six million screaming souls, maybe misery, maybe nothing at all. Um, yeah. You know, that's... I mean, the lyrics are bleak. It just says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, really? obviously the you lyrics know. are really bleak, but when you listen to the music behind it as well... Yeah. You know, it's... We're talking about the perfect coupling of the themes of songs and then the actual feel of the music... Yeah, this is you know those two things taken to the extreme, isn't yeah. it? Like with because it needs you couldn't be singing that over you know something which is a little bit happier in its tone, could you? You need something that's pretty grim. Yeah. So the yeah. this reminds me of Joy Division, the the drums at the beginning. Yeah. There's a song called yeah. is it on Closer? I think it's the first song on Closer Atrocity Exhibition. Yeah. Which links to 
J.G. Ballard, isn't it? He wrote. Oh, a, right, I think yeah. he wrote a book called The Atrocity Exhibition. Yeah. It sounds like that with the drums anyway, and then the bass. It's a very, very kind of Joy Division-y sort of atmospheric bass line at the yeah. beginning. And again, it's all this chromaticism throughout the verse. It steadily moves upwards, yeah. Yeah. which makes it sound, you know... Ominous. Uh, menacing, yeah. 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 That screeching metal sound, this is the yeah. other one that's got it on. So you know the one that it's all the way through, isn't it? It's not just on the intro. It's yeah. that screech sound. That's another one of those Alex Silver... Yeah. Um, things. Yeah, the, you know the metal sound. Uh, Alex Silver um, talks about that to repeat fanzine, um, and he says, "I think the intense humming of evil was a song that I liked very much, and I felt very much involved in that with this kind of looping of the industrial sounds in the background. Originally, I think that sample, like a lot of the other songs, was meant just to be an intro texture." But then the way it worked out, we kind of extended this industrial noise and it became part of the music as well. Mm. All of the sound design stuff, like the speaking in between the songs and also the industrial sounds, uh, the band had them on very low quality cassettes. Generally, we just played them in from the cassette player with a little bit of noise reduction uh, to try and improve the sound slightly. But with the intense humming of evil, as I've already mentioned, we actually looped the sound and that was the only song uh, I think where we actually did something as far as editing goes to the sound. Uh, the high-pitched whistle was the guitar feedback on the edge of making the amp implode. It sounds like a kettle, you know, like an old-fashioned yeah. kettle. Yeah. That that um, the metal sound though remind it, it makes me think of like um, you know like an alarm or some kind of warning, like an air raid. Stick. Yeah, you know, like that kind of you know something bad's going to happen. Yeah. You know that kind of thing. So that's what I always think that it. Um, yeah. it's it, it's there for, but it is really, really kind of, you know, frightening. I, yeah, I think it's a song where, you know, the, the claustrophobic ambience of the studio really shines and really <coughs> lends itself um, to, to the song, yeah. you know, like the way that the guitars and the vocal are like really, like when you listen to your headphones... It's really right there in front of your face, mm. you know, like like really sort of like almost nose to nose with you, like quite intimidating in a way. From uh, Manix Discog, WordPress.com, which is another great Manix resource, um, the song is also one of the only ones about which a bit of internal dissent over lyrics has been recorded. Um, it said that Bradfield requested that changes be made to words to make them more judgmental. Um, saying you can't be ambivalent about the Holocaust, um, which, you know, is, is right. I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, given his own comments about the song, it's possible that Edwards intended it uh, to be partly about Holocaust denialism, which he described as one of the few examples where even truth is being questioned, which is interesting, in, you know, from today's perspective, truth is questioned on a mm. daily basis now. It's, yeah. it's not an unusual thing. Um, and which has continued to pop up in the media occasionally since 1994. The final lines also criticise Winston Churchill, usually thought of as a hero of the United Kingdom. The line, Chil Churchill no different, wished the workers bled to a machine, is probably a reference to his fierce opposition and determination to destroy Bolshevism, and by extension, leftist politics in general. Which is quite interesting, um, which kind of links to the intro from the film... Um, that they took the audio from uh, the court has come the court of nations into the courtroom will come the martyrs of Majdanik and Osventism or Os yeah Osventism it says here I might be saying that wrong um, 
From the ditch of Kirsch, the dead will rise, they will arise from the graves, they will arise from the flames, bringing with them the acrid smoke and the deathly odour of scorched and martyred Europe. And the children, they too, will come, stern and merciless. The butchers had no pity on them. Now the victims will judge the butchers. Today, the tear of the child is the judge, and the grief of the mother is the prosecutor. Now, as words, they feel really dramatic for a documentary film. Mm. And the reason for that, I think, is that um, it's a, a Soviet-made documentary right. about the trials of the Nazi leadership that was presented in English. You know, when you, when you actually read it, today the tear of the child is the judge and the grief of the mother is, is the prosecutor. That's, I don't think that's, uh, for the time, for, the, for 1947, mm. that is not something that a British, that the BBC would say, for example... Um, right. They would be very stiff upper lip, wouldn't they, and show no <laughs> yeah. um, bias. Um, for me, it absolutely makes sense that it's a Soviet-made documentary, uh, just by the language that's used. Imagine if they'd have ended the album with that song. Oh. Where would you have gone <laughs> from there? You know, where when, when, you, when you turned the CD player off or <laughs> took your headphones off or got out of the car, what would you have done? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Cried probably, you know, like that for me is probably the hardest listen on the the whole whole album. Yeah, it must be weird for you because the song before it reminds you of Voulez Vous by Abba, yeah. <laughs> and then straight up after you've got <laughs> yeah the intense humming of evil. Yeah, which is so dense in its um, content, and it's like yeah. a it's like a black hole of a song. There's so much yeah in it. You know, it's hard to dissect in, you know, in a podcast. So what did they end the album with, Phil? Um, well, they ended the album with uh, the double A-side uh, track, PCP. Mm. Um, which is just a, a good old-fashioned punk rocker. It is, isn't it? Isn't it's it? Like, I, I've got on my kind of notes that I made for it. It's just a, it's like a four-chord punk song. But, you know, obviously, this being the Manic Street Preachers and this being the Holy Bible, lyrically, every time I read the lyrics to this, or when I was kind of revisited it recently because we were doing this, like you, I can't match up the lyrics with where they, have, where they are in the song. Yeah, yeah. It's, and I bet if, if I asked you to listen to the song and write the lyrics down, you would be nowhere near. And I oh, still wouldn't yeah. have to love in it for like nearly 30 years. Yeah. I'm still nowhere near with it, really. Uh, I don't know how he remembers them live. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a clue. It's kind of, there's a little bit of, you know, what the actual song is about is, again, a little bit vague, I think. Um, so, yeah, so if, if we start with the, the opening, opening quote, well, not the opening quote, but the quote that's in the, Outro of yeah. the song, sorry, the ending quote, 227 layers, and I can't remember the first line. Um, it's spoken by Albert Finney, and it's it's a line from the 1983 film The Dresser, uh, which was directed by Peter Yates and based on the 1980 Broadway play written by Ronald Howard. Uh, Lears refers to performances of King Lear, Shakespeare's tragedy play, and is a reference to Shakespeare being regarded as impolitically correct by some during the 80s and 90s. Sir, not remembering the original lines, can therefore symbolise PC, changing lines in plays or works of art to make them politically correct, thus rendering old versions impotent. So I think this song is a kind of comment on political correctness. But there's some really 
<laughs> fucking weird lyrics in this song. I know. Um, liposuction for your bad mouth boy. Cut out your tongue, effigies are sold. Like liposuction for your, for your bad mouth boy. It's weird, isn't it? Like, what does that even mean? That line, um, PC, she says, inoculate, hallucinate, beware Shakespeare. Bring fresh air, king cigarette, snuffed out by her midgets. By her midgets? What? <laughs> what? I have no idea what, does what that... Pyri- what does Pyrrhic mean as well? Pyrrhic means... A Pyrrhic victory is where um, you achieve victory, but it's at your own expense. Oh, right, okay. I thought for years as well, you know, the nowadays I can't seem to tell the difference. Yeah. I always thought it was love, desire, can't seem to tell the difference, which right. sounds like a Manic's lyric yeah. in itself, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But that's, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think sometimes, if you'd have presented those lyrics to me at various times when I'm not in a Holy Bible frame of mind, I wouldn't have placed them alongside that song, even though I've heard it yeah. hundreds of times. I love the past the Prozac at the end. Yeah. How his voice just kind of goes all the way up. Yeah. Uh, designer amnesiac. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, there's lines like, uh, be pure, be vigilant, behave. That's like a, um, that was like a Communist Party slogan. I'm going to say it sounds like something like that, um, doesn't it? That they've, they've slotted in there. Um, I Sy- think... Systemised atrocity ignored as long as bilingual signs on view. Yeah. Well... But yeah. it's a great song. It's it a really, It's kind of. It, it's. I don't. I have. I listened to another podcast about the Holy Bible, and people were saying it's a cop out having this as the last song on the album because it's kind of. It's like an up, not uplifting, but it's like an up tempo song at the end when you've had um, the, the intense humming of evil, and they should have just stuck with it and yeah. just kind of maybe had it earlier on. Um, I quite like it last. I think it's a good little bookend for the album. I, I think it closes the album perfectly. I'm not sure know. where else it would fit within it. No, no. and, and But also, um, it's a song that's going to make you want to listen to the album again. Mm. Whereas The Intense Humming of Evil, I don't yeah. think is a song that you'd, you that would you know leave you with that sense of, yeah. oh, I must you know start listening to that again at some point. You know, PCP, it's got another ending that doesn't repeat anywhere else in the song, so they've used that trick i think yep like four times in, in the album and it is as close to an uplifting ending as as the album is ever likely to get mm. um and i think i think it should be the last track because for that for that very reason bits to sort of tag on to the end the cd lyrics booklet um which unusually has songs in the not in the running order (laughs) in fact that (laughs) might be in the original order that they were considering i don't know it's possible bloody hell they would start with a walking abortion probably not then probably not um it features various images each relating to their corresponding tracks um which I thought was quite interesting. It sort of illustrates the completeness of the work that they were, you know, the completeness that they were striving for yeah. with this work um, so that, you know, every aspect of it is is linked. 
Um, I'm not sure what they all are. No, well, I'll I'll tell you now. All right. So yes, thanks, thanks um, It's all right. Uh, yes is an abstract abstract piece of fine art to become shot. Oh, all right. Is it? It's not Nicky Wire, is it? In a that. Yeah, so there you go. It's a cum shot, apparently. Um, if white America, um, a skewed version of Rich's US, uh, Rich's US handgun image, which I think is the image of the, the hand yeah. painted with the stars and stripes. Yeah. Um, of walking abortion, a photograph of Marguerite Clark, um, who has a Siamese twin appendage growing out of her belly. Um, it was originally taken at these uh, James State shows in 1949 and later published in Daniel P. Mannix's 1976 book, Freaks, right. We Who Are Not As Others. Okay. Um, she is Suffering uh, is an illustration of Jesus Christ wearing a crown of thorns, yep. archives of pain, an engraving depicting an execution, an execution by a guillotine in revolutionary France. Uh, Revol, a photograph of Lenin's corpse, the first Soviet Union leader who was embalmed in 1924. Um, Forced on seven, picture of an apple. Uh, mausoleum, uh, a plan of the gas chambers at Velsen concentration camp. Faster, um, a painted portrait uh, of the Soviet serial killer Andrei Chikatilo, I think that is, um, the butcher of Rostov, as it appeared in a series of true crime trading cards released in uh, released by Eclipse in the US in 1992. True crime trading cards. Mm. Make money off all, Like Top Trump's yeah. number of kills. <laughs> well, I imagine, I, imagine, I imagine it was Blimey. not dissimilar. Um, this is yesterday, uh, an illustration of the Sacred Heart, mm. religious iconography. Die in the summertime, photographs of each of the Manic Street preachers of, as children. Look at the little faces. Cherubic little... <laughs> Yeah. Scamps. Um, Humming of Evil, um, a still of the gate at Dachau concentration camp, PCP, a photograph of British police officers in wartime, mm. uh, gas mask training. So there you go. We'll wrap this section up. I thought I thought this was, was an interesting thing to do. Um, so I made a list of all the people... Um, referred to in the uh, in the course of the lyrics and in the quotes and you know um, throughout the whole album and I thought it was an interesting thing because it it shows again the breadth and depth of Richie Edwards' research um, in writing these lyrics um, also Nicky Wire as well and they kind of fall into certain categories so the first category is Russian politicians and dictators. So Boris Yeltsin gets the honour of being uh, name-checked twice, mm. um, followed by uh, Vladimir Zhirinovsky, who's a, a Russian politician in the 90s, uh, Joseph Stalin, Vladimir Lenin, Nikita Khrushchev, Leonid Brezhnev, Mikhail Gorbachev and Leon Trotsky. So basically every big hitter in Russian communism since, mm. um, since Lenin. Uh, revolutionaries, uh, Che Guevara is the sole revolutionary. Uh, other dictators, uh, Benito Mussolini, Adolf Hitler, Nicholas Horthy, uh, Joseph Tizou, Idi Amin, Slobodan Milosevic, Napoleon Bonaparte and Paul Pot are all mentioned. Politicians, I've put these in, in, in the politician section because although you know some of them probably would be dictators if right. given half a yard. Um, um, Ronald Reagan, Tipper Gore, Margaret Thatcher... 
Um, I've, I've put Margaret Thatcher, British right-wing politician and sociopath next to her name. Uh, Neville Chamberlain, uh, Winston Churchill, Jean-Marie Le Pen, who's a French right-wing politician. Eugène Terre Blanche um, was a South African politician and white supremacist who was murdered at his farm in 2010. Uh, and Judge James Pickles, who's not a politician, but is part of the British yeah. political establishment. Um, British judge who became famed for his controversial decisions and statements, such as claiming that rape victims were asking for it. And then serial killers, of which there's a few. Um, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley, Peter Sutcliffe, Colin Ireland, Beverly Allett, Dennis Nielsen, Jeffrey Dahmer, Yoshinori Ueda and Sigmund Rascher. Rascher was a, a German SS doctor right, who was okay. known for various barbaric and deadly experiments at Dachau. So, you know, he can go in the serial killer uh, list. Um, I found it interesting that of all the um, serial killers listed, only the... British ones are given nicknames. Um, the, the British press love to give a good nickname to a serial killer. So we've got the Moors Murderers, the Yorkshire Ripper, the Gay Slayer, Baby Killer and Muswell Hill Murderer. I think they do it in America, though, don't they? Like do they? Zodiac Killer, Green River Killer. Uh, yeah, I guess so. BTK, all these, you know, there's. I think it's... Uh, but yeah, the, the the newspapers in England do like a good good a good nickname. Makes them more accessible to people, doesn't they? <laughs> <laughs> it does. Well, it's you know it's that, it's that whole thing that um, yeah archives of pain is mm. talking about, isn't it? Exactly. You know the glorification of, of people that kill. Um, it's all part of it. Um, Louis uh, Farrakhan was leader of the largely African American religious group, the Nation of Islam. Um, Authors and writers, um, Hubert Selby Jr., J.G. Ballard, Arthur Miller, Norman Mailer, Harold Pinter and Sylvia Plath. And the last section who I've, 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 I've labelled as innocents um, because I think, by and large, that's what they are. Um, Abraham Zapruder, Irene MacDonald and Caroline Neville Lister. You know, that, that's quite a comprehensive list of people to name-checking in, in 13 is. songs, yep. you know. Um, and I think, again, it just illustrates um, the depth of, of the work, you know, really fascinating that all these seemingly disparate elements have been, well, not, not necessarily disparate, but all, you know, certainly, you know, Caroline Neville Lister and, and uh, Benito Mussolini are probably about as far apart mm. as you could possibly get. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they've, that they've been brought together into the same body of work speaks to the depth and breadth of the, of the work itself. Let's talk about the artwork um, for the Holy Bible, which I think it's fair to say that the, the Holy Bible album cover is now regarded as iconic. It features an oil-on-canvas triptych painting, which was uh, created in 1993 and 94 by British artist Jenny Savile. The work depicts three perspectives of the body of an obese woman in her underwear and is titled Strategy, South Face, Front Face, North Face. Um, interestingly, it's printed uh, backwards on the album cover. Oh, um, right, OK. Um, it actually appears the in the other way around, so right. the left side on the right side and vice versa yeah. um, in, ah. in, in real life. Were they about nine foot tall? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll get on to that, right. yeah, because it's, it's quite interesting. Um, just a little bit about Jenny Savile, um, because she actually allowed the work to be used 
for free, basically. Mm. Um, she gave them free licence to, to use it. So Savile is originally from Cambridge in the UK and gained a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree from Glasgow St- School of Art in 1992. Um, part of a degree course entailed spending a term at the University of Cincinnati in 91. Um, her studies focused her interest in the imperfections of, of the flesh. Uh, with all of its societal implications and taboos. Um, during her um, research on the nature and resilience of the human flesh, Savile had spent time in morgues and observing plastic surgeons at work. Um, from gagazonian.com, which I think is a gallery in New York, um, I'm probably butchering that pronunciation, but I'm four hours into recording the podcast, so I'm past care in there. Um, in her dep- depictions of the human form, Jenny Savile transcends the boundaries of both classical figuration and modern abstraction. Oil paint applied in heavy layers becomes as visceral as the flesh itself, each painted mark maintaining, maintaining a supple, mobile life of its own, as Savile pushes, smears and scrapes the pigment over her large-scale canvases. The distinctions between living, breathing bodies and their painted representations begin to collapse. Yeah, I can see that. Definitely. Um, from Sotheby's.com, um, her works comment on the contemporary obsession with the figure from emaciated to obese bodies, and as such, work has been described as embodying a, a feminist aesthetics of disgust. Both Nicky Wire and Richie Edwards first saw Savile's work uh, in an independent Sunday supplement magazine, um, which, following some enthusiastic conversation between the pair, prompted Edwards to contact the Saatchi Gallery with a view to purchasing strategy. Uh, but the £30,000 price tag was possibly more than he wanted to pay or could pay, um, and he didn't end up buying it. At first, Jenny Savile wasn't keen on the idea of the band using her artwork uh, for the album cover, but after a 30-minute telephone conversation with Edwards in which he detailed the lyrical themes of each track, faxing Savile a copy of the lyrics to Four Stone 7, um, she changed her mind. Right. Said Savile in an interview with writer Dan Richards, the first time I did the Mannix thing... Um, because her work was also used on Journal for Plague Lovers yep. as well. Um, the first time I did the Mannix thing, I was living in Glasgow. Um, I'd just done the show at the Saatchi Gallery and Richie Edwards called me up and we had a conversation about anorexia. And I wasn't initially keen on doing an album cover, but then after talking to him, I really wanted to do it because we had a lot of interests that were similar about technology and the body. Uh, writers we liked and he faxed me the lyrics to Four Stone 7 and I read that and I said I'll do it use the triptych you can have it so yeah so she's basically let them use it for free use it for free and and I think probably for, for her it, it's about as good an advertisement I've got to say it's not, it won't have done her any harm will yeah, it yeah absolutely it's quite interesting um, you know researching this work because it has had quite a big impact on on, um, on on people that see it because of its size you know it's, it's I think it's 9 foot tall by 21 mm. foot long uh, Emily Kirkpatrick uh, wrote an article for artsy.net Um, in which she talks about her own experiences with obesity. And she says, The impact of finding Savile's work at that precise moment in my life didn't occur to me until years later when I was able to see her triptych painting strategy, south face, front face, north face, in person. Standing nine feet tall and 21 feet wide, the work is a force of nature, a presence that demands your undivided attention, and not merely because of its scale. The obese figure in this painting is undeniably beautiful, She's quite literally a work of art put on display so as to be praised and admired, though through the mere act of depiction, Savile underscores the worthiness of this form and its right to occupy this vast space. The underwear-clad figure in strategy is the epitome of that message, 
showing off her physique from every angle while looking the viewer dead in the eye with the same stoic, unimpressed expression, a look that seems to say, so? The work forces the viewer to reckon with their own preconceptions, projections and insecurities of what it means to be a fat woman by refusing to engage with any of them. This painting is not meant to shock or disgust or make some kind of statement on body positivity. In the liminal state of Savile's work, this woman is permitted to be exactly as she is. She exists as a pure, unadulterated version of herself, perhaps for the first time in her life. Which is entirely... I can see why um, the two works go together so mm. well. I think the, 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 the album cover, in a wider sense, though, is... There aren't that many albums that have got the track listing on the front. No, no, that's true. So it's like almost the track listing and the names of the songs and how they're presented form a part of the artwork as well. Yeah. Um, and the Holy Bible is not mentioned. It's not mentioned anywhere in the lyrics to it, is it? No. So it's you know there's that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's really interesting You're talking about you know the the, the typefaces and stuff. Um, the Holy Bible was the first of a few uh, Manix albums to feature the Gil Sands reverse R typeface, yeah. um, which was, believe it or not, um, lifted directly from one of James Dean Bradfield's favourite Simple Minds albums, Empires and Dance. Um, interestingly, interestingly, Empires and Dance also has a military-esque theme with its cover image, which uh, looks to depict the bust of a military officer against the backdrop of an ancient Mediterranean ruin. It's It's... Exactly the same, the you know the typeface yeah. and how it, it's. You look at it and you just think, oh yeah, obviously they ripped yeah. it off that because it just looks exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then you know the Manic Street Preachers are photographed in their Clash-inspired military uniforms on the back cover. Um, that was photographed by Neil Cooper, um, and the resulting image was retouched um, and and painted upon by the model and stylist Barry Kamen. And finally, to to finish on the um, on the artwork. Um, there's a quote uh, on the back from Octa Octave 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 Merbo, the torture garden. Am I saying that right? I don't know. Which goes thus: You're obliged to pretend respect for people and institutions you think absurd. You live attached in a cowardly fashion to moral and social conventions you despise, condemn, and no lack all foundation. It is that permanent contradiction between your ideas and desires and all the dead formalities and vain pretenses of your civilization, which makes you sad, troubled and unbalanced. In that intolerable conflict you lose all joy of life and all feeling of personality, because at every moment they suppress and restrain and check the free play of your powers. That's the poisoned and mortal wound of the civilised world. I can imagine that either Richie Edwards came to that quote already feeling those things, yeah. or if he didn't, Felt realised that he felt them very shortly after. Again, as a the artwork, the 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 typeface, the lyrics, the songs, the quotes, it it is all such. It all just brings this completeness, which you just I don't think you find in many albums. No, it's uh, most albums feel like a collection of songs, and then somebody's thought of some artwork for it that either looks good or, you you know what I mean. It's it's they don't all link together so yeah. well. Um, but this one, obviously, every single part of it has been thought out. Could you argue that it's a concept album? Yeah, mm, uh, yeah, probably. Maybe unintentionally. Yeah, because I, I was about to say that, um, like concept albums, 
get a bad rep, don't they? Well, <laughs> they very rarely finish as concept albums because the, they, they realise that the concept hasn't got legs. Mm. So they start off with this general idea of this is what the album is about and they start writing songs around that album and then they realise that they're running out of ideas so they start writing about other th- ideas and sort of try to integrate that into yeah. the concept album. Whereas this has started out as different ideas being brought together and it's like you say it's the exact opposite you Mm. know they've they've brought these ideas together and suddenly it's such a cohesive body of work that it actually resembles a concept album Mm. um i think when you when i think of concept albums i always think of like rush and you know like prog uh, yeah just proggy stuff there are proggy elements to this thing though you know the, the the sticking of like bits onto the end of songs that ch- you know changing time signatures and yeah and all that stuff there's all there, there are elements of prog in there it's not a prog album yeah but, you know i always associate prog though with like just doing things for the sake of it to show that you can do it yeah that's yeah. what it that's what it means to me when i think of like prog rock and stuff yeah so when this came out if we to, to tie up and let's just yeah. talk a bit about the what you thought about it then or what it was perceived as being then and what it is now because it's another album like Pinkerton where at the time it wasn't as loathed as Pinkerton on its release but um, it was seen as being like commercial suicide yeah and there was you know a lot of the people just didn't get it yeah Um, but over time I think it's it's been one of those which has just gained even more admirers over time and people have realised, you know, what an important thing it is. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, you know, to say it's had no promotion, really, um, like no heavy, like, record company hmm. backing and promotion, um, it has sold, I think, over 600,000 copies so far. It was the highest charting one when it released. I think it got to number yeah. six or something. But when right. you say about the promotion... One of the things they did was they promoted it by a double-page advert in the press with right. every lyric in the album <laughs> on that double-page advert. Brilliant. So it's kind of... Brilliant. Like, critics, I think they called it commercial suicide, but they also praised how, you know, they, you can't argue that a band have gone in and done exactly what they wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. There's no... You know, there's nothing on there which where you think, oh, the record company have nudged them in that direction. Yeah. Apart from maybe yeah. getting no, apart from the US mixers, that's the only thing. But it's that, the only concession, but that, that was made, doesn't yeah. form a part of the original release to it. No, no. Um, now we haven't mentioned it yet, but about was it six or seven months after it was released, Richie Edwards vanished. Yeah. And, yeah. it's easy, and I think a part of this album's enduring appeal is that people tie those two events together. This album yeah. and his disappearance. Yeah. You know, like pouring over lyrics to try and find, you know, things of clues and, you know, various different um, ways of looking at these lyrics. But I don't think there's any kind of ambiguity in the lyrics, you know. And when he vanished, I know it sounds harsh, but it wasn't like a surprising thing. You know, like when Kurt no. Cobain died and people weren't surprised. I was. I was surprised. But then I was in, you know, at that time, I, I think I was an incredibly naive mm. person in his early 20s, you know, who, who, you know, wanted to sort of, desperately wanted to get into that world, but didn't know what it was all about. Mm. 
So I was naturally like hugely surprised with Kurt Cobain's death. What I mean um, is though, I, and, it, it sounds flippant like I'm being dismissive of it as not being like, well, it was obviously going to happen. I don't mean that at all. But I mean that kind of mental illness and some of the lyrical contents of this, when we talk about men's mental health and you know suicide in young men, yeah. there's a trajectory which... It fits, doesn't it, with both yeah. of those two artists? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and and absolutely. You know, the 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 lyrics on the Holy Bible. You know, it, it's really easy to look at things in retrospect, and it's it's you, we've got to be like super careful because you know, Richie Edwards still has friends and family that you know had very different relationships with him to mm. the ones that his fans had with him, and people like us talking about his work. Um, you know, we don't know Richie Edwards, we don't know his family, we don't know his friends, you know. Yeah. Um, there, but I think we have to be respectful of, of those people because it's still very real. His, his, yeah. his disappearance is still very very real daily experience for them. That said, reading the lyrics, uh, you know, to the Holy Bible, and one of the reasons it is so unsettling is because it does feel like almost the last will and testament of mm. Richie Edwards. You know, there there are some very autobiographical um, lyrics that, that you know, like you say, um, deal with mental health struggles, you know, anorexia, self-harm and, 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 and so on and so forth. It's really hard to sum up. It's really, really, really hard. It's, you know, it's been a, it's a hard album to talk about and it's a really hard album to sum up. I think... In summing up, it's an album where a band did exactly what they intended to do yeah. and the result was more than the sum of its parts um, and I would say is the pinnacle of their career. You know, I mean, I know people go, oh, everything must go is great and um, this is my truth, tell me yours is great. And yes, they are. In different ways. In different they? ways. They're very, very different albums. Very, very different and, diff- and written with a different intent. Um, you know, those those albums were written with the intent of um, having some kind of commercial success that would enable the band to mm. continue doing what they were doing. I think the Holy Bible probably brought them to the brink of being dropped yeah. um, by the label. But it is an incredible instance of an album that has been conceived and delivered on a on the band's terms, on the artist's terms, and more than delivers on that yep a masterpiece indeed a masterpiece and I'm never going to talk about this album again and you, won't, pro- you won't listen to it again for years I bet I'm, I'm not I honestly I need a break I'm not going to listen to this album for another 20 years five yeah I think before 30 years yeah, yeah. I don't think I'll, I probably won't revisit it for a good number of years like, but like we've said before it's not because there's anything wrong with it it's because it's just it beats you up <laughs> it, it certainly does. It certainly does. So next time out, um, we're going to have a bit of a change of pace and a bit of a change of feel and um, up the reverence slightly and possibly um, the... Uh, the blood tondra level. Yeah, the, the inappropriateness. <laughs> um, and we're going to take a look at um, ACDC's classic live album, If You Want Blood, You've Got It. So we'll see you next time. We will. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Just a couple of blokes Pouring all the liner notes We're the rock geeks Yeah, we're the rock geeks Who played on that? Who played on the other? Who 
Thank you for listening to the Rock Geeks podcast. If you have any comments, corrections and or constructive criticism, you can contact us at therockgeeks at gmail.com. If you have anything unnecessarily rude to say, please put it in your own trash folder and delete it to save us the bother. While we do read every email we receive, we cannot unfortunately guarantee a reply. The Rock Geeks is researched, written and presented by Phil Greenwood and Julian Gallagher. Jingles composed and recorded by Phil Greenwood and Julian Gallagher. Editing by Phil Greenwood. If you have enjoyed the Rock Geeks podcast, please consider joining us at Patreon, where in exchange for your generosity you will receive ad-free episodes, bonus content and early access. Or alternatively, it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave us a five-star review and tell your friends about us.